Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am authorized to assure you that so far there is no reasonable cause for alarm. The rumors of invading armies and mass destruction are based on hysteria and are absolutely false. I repeat, these rumors are absolutely false. Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.E. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And I'm the other guy that talks. Some people call me Mitchell. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. And in no particular order, we're just going to list off and thank those people right now. Starting with The Geek Critique. Thank you very much. Spencer. Spencer is helping us. Thank you, Spencer. Empathic Twitch. Thank you very much. Dan, always a long time Patreon at this point. Long time, Dan. Pleasure having you with us. Uh, oh my God, what is this? Jaleo? Jaleo. Thank you, Jaleo. Halio? Halio? Beats me. <laughs> but thank you for uh, your contribution. Ben Freeman, we appreciate it. David C., thank you. Uh, Jennifer Baker, thank you so much. Longtime subscriber, that Jennifer Baker. Thank you. James mm-hmm. Miola. James Miola. Thank you. Grace. Grace. Oh. What, what is that? Is a, what is that? Greek? Uh, I'm not sure. He's got a picture of a tiger, though, so I assume he's a uh, Indian tiger. Well, thank you, Mr. Grace, the tiger. Uh, Dominic Ahin. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic. Uh, Dan Zander. I like that just rolls off the tongue. Dan Zander. Well, I like that. Dan Zander, look at who the email address is. Dan Zander, thank you very much. <laughs> we're, we're very familiar with you, Mr. Zander. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely we are. Um, Daniel Martinoli. Dan Mar- Thanks. Daniel Martinoli. Thank you. Uh, Nita Labrada Gaffaro. Wow, we should have read this list beforehand, but I think I did I that one you, pretty well, I actually. Think you, I think you nailed that. I think that's totally her name. That's the Hispanic um, in me, I think. Michael Blomake. Blomik? Blomik. Blomik? Blomik? Sure. Is that a... Blomik. Okay. Blomik. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> thank, yeah, thank the entire list of people. Uh, they are our Patreon subscribers. If you wish to join the ranks and be mentioned and thanked personally, uh, every episode we're going to do this, just check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. And those uh, different subscriber levels, uh, not only are they cool because you pick which uh, part of the Yurk Empire you are, which, are, you know, that's a mixture of hork and Taxons and even Jed controllers, um, you, different rewards for each level uh, have you interacting with us as hosts in different ways. So just for the subscribers who we just mentioned, um, the last certain four. levels... Yeah, the last four. We're going to be doing a post-episode discussion with you and, and watch your emails because we're going to set a time for that and invite you to come come discuss the last book uh, that we just went over and reviewed with us personally. Oh, the, the discussion uh, is for the time. last, like, eight people, you said. Oh, okay. Well, they know their rewards levels. Just everybody <laughs> watch your email, and uh, we'll be sending out an invite to that uh, fairly soon. 
Yes, exactly. We're just uh, kind of working out the nuts and bolts of how to actually host an online discussion. Uh, I, I've looked into some online chat options. Uh, Google Hangouts is a popular one. Uh, there's another free one that I like called Chatsy. Uh, so we'll, we'll take a look and see what works best. If you have any suggestions, uh, our, our, our $5 and $10 subscribers, please uh, chip in. Chip in the ideas. Speaking of... Speaking of suggestions, uh, we also are looking into doing uh, bringing back private thought speaks uh, for our Patreon subscribers of a certain level, and uh, they'll get those as a bonus reward for subscribing and helping us out with the show. And uh, we we need suggestions for those. We want it to be a little more focused, a little more animorphs focused than in the past. In the past, we just kind of rambled. And, That's you know, right. Threw it uh, out. The <laughs> idea initially was to give us uh, to give our, our listeners just a a look at one of our private conversations. That's really about nothing in general. Where. We just kind of ramble. Um, and I, I like the idea of giving you guys additional content. I really want to record more and and be able to give you more. And I think it would be much cooler to get you all involved. So the last four people, Dan Zander, Daniel Martinoli, uh, Nita, uh, and Michael, uh, submit some uh, topics for us or questions and we yeah. will debate them for, you know, as long as it takes us to in a, a private thought speak that would be recorded yeah, you can send at the us same time we record these. Send us a message on Patreon or email us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com. You can also jump on Reddit when we uh, post the episode discussions and just let us know what you think would be interesting for us to go into uh, in a private thought speak. And these questions don't have to necessarily be Animorphs specific. Uh, as you're all quite aware, you know, we have a large many interests and we are often off on tangents discussing different topics. So feel free to include pretty much anything uh, that you want to know about. If you want to know what Michael Grant's voice smells like over Skype, we can answer that. Uh, Coleman can. I did not have my smision adapter hooked up. <laughs> uh, we also wanted to go into briefly, uh, we've seen a lot of discussion on Reddit uh, after our last episode. We want to talk about a couple subjects. First and foremost, uh, the fact that we kind of mixed up the format of the episode last time. And uh, I want to say it's not going to be a regular thing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Our format is constantly evolving, okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah, but it's. I, I think a lot of people do come and listen to the podcast because they haven't read the series in a while, and they do want to know what was going on in specific books. And last episode, uh, I threw caution to the wind. Uh, I didn't have a lot of patience for that book's plot, which I know there's going to be other books like that. And uh, we kind of just wanted to discuss the the ins and outs of the book itself and, and kind of give our reviews. And that didn't fly with a lot of listeners. Well, um, don't don't you include me in your little plan here with this we, we talk. You're both the, of you're us. You're the one who said, hey, forget about all the uh, individual scenes that comprise this book. And let's talk about Marco's feelings. That was you, buddy. <laughs> not me. Uh, I uh, enjoy... Uh, dissecting these things and and looking at them really on a scene to scene basis and and discussing okay this is what this book brought to the table why did they give us this bizarre scene of you know the team running through a, a water park or whatever it is uh that's my <laughs> favorite thing to talk about for these books and i think you were in a bit of a slump because uh the book wasn't tickling your fancy the way it used to 
or, or some such nonsense. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, yes, we're very much dedicated to the the formula of going through the book's plots scene by scene, breaking them down, really talking about you know what characters are interacting, if there's any character or major plot developments. Uh, why sometimes the authors choose to waste our time seemingly on a dumb, pointless scene. Um, those are the kinds of things we, we go into in this podcast. And that's what I think our listeners really want to hear. Coleman. Yeah. And we, we will continue to do that. Um, it was just a very specific instance and, and we're going to get to the books where, um, there might be more interesting things to talk about than the plot, but it's important to go through that plot uh, and and do that for the listeners who really get a lot out of that. So uh, again, it's I'll take the hit. It's on me, uh, and we will keep that in review for uh, future episodes, including this one. Sure, and and I would go uh, as far as to say, um, Reddit user, I don't know how to PM. A uh, very active Reddit user uh, wrote up a very big uh, post about. That specifically, and I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but I just want to say I agree wholeheartedly with you. I don't know how to PM. <laughs> and, it, and really, it's... Go ahead. It's it's just a button on the sidebar it, to PM somebody. It's it's really easy to find. Oh, 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 a joke about a <laughs> username. Cloud Clever. Uh, you know, and he, he's worried about... He or she is worried about us theoretically taking over reddit um to some degree but i just want to let you know that i have no ambition <laughs> in that regard i'm not well, even have, i'm not even one of the mods okay yeah you also have no ability so it's it's all nice for you to say that you don't want to take over reddit uh when you're when you weren't the one made a mod but we I, did joke around at the end of the last episode saying i had been made mod and i was going to be a cruel but fair leader and you know burn the place down with fire when that's actually not my intention at all um i love the community been a long time um poster and lurker on the animorphs reddit and um i specifically became a mod to help uh the community grow a little bit and and i if you've if you checked out our animorphs lately um i did a lot of the graphic design stuff there and made a new snoo and all that and i just want to see that i just want to see that community flourish and i'm not not there to make it you know, our thoughts speak. Uh, it's our Animorphs, and I'm just there to help and, and help it grow if I can. Uh, if you if you see me abusing my power in any way, I, I hope you call me out on it. I have no problem with that. I'm going to call you out on it. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't, yeah. I haven't been to Reddit in a long time. It actually surprised me that there were uh, 16 comments on this particular episode. Um, I promise. But I guess you pissed way, off a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I promise the only way I'll abuse my power is uh, booting and blocking Mitch's uh, username, which I know as often as possible from different subreddits. Um, you th- that's You're assuming I have one. <laughs> if you have more than one, that's illegal. Well, really? Are Reddit user accounts like uh, state issue That what? No, but that one guy got in trouble on Reddit. He was like a super popular poster on there. And then people found out he was using his other accounts to boost his his comments. And uh, Yeah, well, that's sh- what losers shadow do. Banned. And well, we're I'm winners, just, baby. I'm not pointing fingers, but, you know, I might 
boot you. Okay. Shadow ban you. <laughs> Before you do that, though, <laughs> I want to read one, one Reddit comment from uh, Reddit user followed by Tidal Waves. We mentioned him or her uh, a couple episodes ago, I believe. And uh, they start out by saying, I put off listening to the Megamorphs episode all these weeks since there wasn't another one left after it. Just to find out you mentioned me? All right, all right, you got me. I'll keep up. But this means you two have to keep up this more regular schedule deal. Well, uh, followed by Tidal Waves, I'd just like to say that we are recording only six days after uh, uh, our last released episode, which I think is some kind of record for us. I think. Yeah, and I don't want to say it's directly related to the Patreon, but it does really help to see that people are, you know, wanting the episodes and and wanting to support us. And, I mean, it gave me some really positive feelings. It made me, you know, jump over to you and be like, hey, let's record the next episode, you know? Um, so I'm excited about that whole thing. I'm excited to put out some of these rewards, and that it's definitely going to lead to us really building a new website that I think will be a cool place to stop by for Animorphs fans. Um yeah, I'm excited about all this, and uh, it definitely makes me want to get these episodes out to you and give you what you need. Exactly, exactly. Uh, if I could bring up one last thing from the, the Reddit posts, uh, just Reddit user Subvisor says, I want to reiterate the point about the summary that others have made. To me, the summary is the podcast. Without it, there would be no reason to listen. So, boom, right there. That That's all that needs to be said. Thank you, Subvisor. I- I thought we were just affable personalities that people just wanted to hear us talk, but I guess not. <laughs> I guess they're just interested in this whole Animorphs thing. Yeah, um, who knows when we'll when we'll just bring people in based on our ramblings and rantings alone. Uh, <laughs> if ever it happens. Well, folks, I am uh, happy to tell you here that tonight we are discussing Animorphs number 31, The Conspiracy. We haven't even talked about it yet. But uh, it's getting to be that point where we start talking about the actual book. Ain't it? Oh, yeah. And I'm excited to jump in uh, the first part before we get to the summary. Um, I think this cover and the back of the book have a lot to talk about in of themselves. So uh, it's my turn to read the back of the book, isn't it? I'm going to read the back of the book. Oh, go for it. Okay. uh, Jake's grandfather has died. You're already wrong. (laughs) (laughs) What? You're already wrong. Jake's great-grandfather has died. You said Jake's grandfather. You know what? You can't keep these things straight. Oh, um, we must be nitpicky. I was, no, I was really torn up. This first, this put me on a downward spiral already. It's it's a downer of a start. Get to um, it. Jake's great-grandfather has died. It blows the family away, especially Jake's mom. So Jake's parents decide they should all travel to the great-grandfather's home to help with any arrangements in another state for three or four days. This is a very big problem for Jake's brother, Tom. He can't be away from the York pool for that long. So Tom refuses... So Tom refuses go? Is that a typo? Oh my god, it is! So Tom Tom refuses refuses go! go. (laughs) You know what? What does Tom do? This is the first time that I've noticed it too! And you, apparently. Wow. How is this not an Animorph meme? Where it's like, what's Tom gonna do? Tom refuses go. (laughs) Tom refuses... Hashtag Tom refuses go. Let's get that trending. Let's get that trending. (laughs) Hashtag Animorphs. Hashtag Tom refuses go. (laughs) Uh, So Tom refuses go and his father insists. (laughs) That itself should be a meme. Uh, But Tom's jerk will do anything to survive, including making his father less of a problem. Now Jake, the other Animorphs, and Axe 
have to find a way to protect his father without Tom discovering their secret and without having to choose between his father's life and Tom's. Oh my, that would be so much more dramatic had we not spent a good couple of <laughs> seconds laughing at it. <laughs> it's it's a pretty dark back of the book, actually. And, uh, yeah, I like I like that. Um, including making his father less of a problem. That's it's it's hard. It's harsh. Well, yeah, you know the the back really sells you on this book. Frankly, uh, this was definitely one I hadn't read before, and um, me neither. This is exactly what we got. You know, sometimes these these summaries uh, only discuss, you know, a very minor portion of the plot or like the A plot or the B plot. Um, this is basically everything that happens in this book. Now, I want to talk about a couple of things with the cover design. Um, first and foremost, the teal color. I feel like you look through the Animorphs when they're all sitting on your shelf next to each other. And uh, whereas the last of the book actually looked kind of modern with its like color and it's uh, the stock photos they used and everything. It, it looked kind of more like a modern book. This one with its teal and it's green and it's uh, really, really bad uh, morph on the front, I think uh, hurts it. <laughs> yeah, this is this is one of the sillier ones, I would say that middle uh, morph. It, it, it's not like the body horror uh, type of you know imaging that the the series really sh- is known for or should be known for. Instead, yeah. this is this is childish and silly. And uh, if you just pulled that middle image out and had it by itself, it would look so ridiculous. It it just Ugh. um it really undermines how serious the book is. <laughs> Plus, it's it's strange to me um, that they decided you know usually they have them in the top left or the top or the bottom left and like going in a diagonal into their morph this one like goes down and then goes back up into his morph exactly it's like the placement's awkward the whole look of it is kind of just unsettling you don't want to stare at it for too long the uh cover quote says when they say it's all in your head believe it uh that means nothing (laughs) no it's a it's a uh blatant um, reference to the TV show's opening theme song. It's all in your head. Oh, oh no. I didn't think about that. Hold back the darkness. I thought it was just an obvious reference to Yerk and then random nonsense after. I'm, I'm actually probably 100% sure that that's what it really is. Because if, if you take it as, it as it is, it's all in your head, believe it. That's completely the opposite of what the series is about. It's not all in your head. There is a conspiracy. There is a early innovation. Well, yeah. I think it's. I think it means literally, like, like there's literally a yerk in. But if you say your head. if you say literally, who's the one saying this like phrase? It's all in your head when they say it's all in your head. Who's saying like it doesn't the, make sense? The on horribly any level. stupid marketing team that came up with <laughs> all of these these slogans on day one threw them on a piece of paper and then we're like, okay, what we got? Uh, what do we got? Uh, a book called The Conspiracy? Yeah, use the uh, use the head quote. That makes sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> After the book comes out, they're like, oh, wait, Yerks go in the head? Wow, this works on so many levels. We didn't even think of that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, how lucky are we? <laughs> uh, okay. And, and then we came up with this fantastic inside cover art, oh, which, wow. uh, uh, frankly, is they really, really tried to do a scene from the book. They tried. They had the right <laughs> elements there, mostly. <laughs> Man. But Okay, so let's just, first off, this looks like it was made in one of those architecture programs where you're showing like people walking around in front of a building uh, that you just designed for like a architectural pitch, like really bad 3D models of everything. 
No, you know what it looks like? It looks like the first, uh, the first generation of The Sims games that they put out. That's what it looks like. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Maybe even a little worse than that. Uh, and B, just as it relates to the plot of the book, yes, there is a scene where Marco, as a gorilla, lifts up cars and Jake's flying overhead. It's in an a, empty parking lot. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a guy in the car that Marco lifts up. No. And, <laughs> and while technically this is a gorilla... This doesn't look like any of the gorillas on the front of the books that we've seen Marco morph into. Like this, this, is this looks like wimpiest. a guy in a gorilla costume. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a like a female gorilla or like a like just a just the wimpiest gorilla they could find. Um, I not, I not great. and whenever I go uh, for coffee, my favorite store of choice is just good old plain coffee. coffee. The store. <laughs> <laughs> I'm try- I was trying to figure out what uh, the store next to it's called. Like uh, Franklin's, something, maybe? Something Collector's Edition, it looks like, is what they put on there. It looks like, really, they just put random text, kind of. Yeah, that's possible. So that's uh, that's the, uh, the outside of this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. Let's talk about the inside. Going on the, uh, the inside. So really, that uh, scene that we just kind of mentioned is... is what we get right off the bat. So the uh, inciting incident happens almost immediately. Like the back of the book describes uh, Jake comes home one day to find, you know, his mom is distressed because grandpa G is dead. (coughs) And of course this means that, you know, they're, they're going to go stay with the rest of their family in this cabin that's upstate or in a different area. It's, it's for some reason it's outside the reach of Cassie's woods. Um, and, and it's too far away, um, which presents this problem for Tom's Yerk. And, uh, in that first couple chapters, you get Tom, you know, figuring out that this is not good for him. He's, uh, upset about it. And he calls his controller goons in right away to, um, take out his dad who had this disagreement with. And it's, uh, it's interesting this first part because you have, um, Jake finding all this out. His mom's like jumping in a cab, running away. And uh, Jake, he wants to go talk to Cassie, which they keep, it's an interesting thing. They keep talking about how Jake wants to talk to Cassie throughout this book. Like it's going to lead to like a really cool scene at the end with him and Cassie discussing his feelings or something. Never yeah. happens. No. And, happen. and and really I, I will admit up front that uh, that's the thing I liked about this book is that they are further driving a wedge between Jake and Cassie. Um, Cassie's changing as a character. She's not quite that source of uh, uh, reliable morality for the team like she used to be, like she wants to be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's definitely putting a strain between her and Jake now. Um, and I, I love that they, they decided to do that. They spent, you know, the first 10, 15 books getting these two closer and closer together. Now we're seeing this pull apart. And I yeah. like that. Yeah, it's cool. But um, <clears throat> it's interesting, too, about this is that um, I feel like so this is a ghostwritten book. Uh, we knew this. And I, I I think somebody should let us know or not. But it feels like this is a new ghostwriter. This isn't one we've seen yet. Um, I think uh, there's a master list somewhere on the Internet. I think I've seen it. Um, this one was uh, ghostwritten by Laura Batianiawis. Laura Batianiawis? Yeah. I'm, I'm not and sure. I, I'm I don't that, think but. I've seen... I don't think I've seen that name yet, but um, it's it's interesting because 
Uh, it seems like these ghostwriters a lot of time will, will read the book that comes before the book they're going to write to kind of get a feeling for it. And so a lot of those tend to come up at the beginning of the next book. So like uh, Marco is who Jake ends up running into when he's looking for Cassie. Yeah. And it specifically talks about Marco being able to see that line from A to B. And I thought that was a very specific thing to reference after the last book. Exactly. Um, they they use that same phrase. And it's, uh, I think, the most... Um, accurate phrase to describe Marco's mentality. Um, so it makes sense that they would reuse that. Uh, yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, the previous book and this book shares a lot of similarities with that one. Actually, they're both about, um, advancing two of the characters, personal family dramas. Uh, they're both about, you know, kidnapping, um, and, and unsuspecting Yerk, uh, controller. They're, they're both about, uh, Making that choice between, you know, do I try to save this person that I love or do I try to kill them? Yeah, and the main character consistently between the last book and this one um, doesn't know if they're in control of the situation or not. And and everybody else questions whether they should be calling the shots. Right, uh, yes, exactly, because they're too close to it. Exactly. So uh, Jake meets up with Marco and Marco immediately tells him like wait you left them alone like marco sees the the problem even though jake at first sees this as an opportunity to maybe even save tom marco sees it as what the book actually ends up being about is that tom's gonna go on the offensive and try to deal with the situation and so um yeah that's like that's a good point to point out is that yeah jake at first is like oh good you know we're going away maybe his yurk will just starve to death haha and and as soon as he explains the situation to marco marco's like uh we gotta go we better we better watch him you know and it's a good thing they do because jake's dad takes off uh uh they they need eric's help to locate him um for yeah and there's a note there's a note left um that they find in the trash because tom Tom's York is trying to cover his tracks, but it basically says that him and his dad are going to go to a uh, meeting of the sharing so that uh, his dad can explain to the sharing guys why he can't help out this weekend with whatever, you know. Yeah, actually, uh, a very good excuse. Um, Tom's York has a number of plans throughout this book, and some of them I liked and some of them I didn't quite as much. But... Uh, this is what I thought he should have been doing the whole time is, you know, trying to lure his dad into a area that is under controller control and then just make him one of them. And then uh, the problem could be solved through that way. Um, and there's definitely different parts of this book that I think are reach a little higher than other parts. And I think this uh, first scene that we saw before where we just were, um, where Tom is like really throwing a fit with his dad about going off the weekend. I, I really liked that scene. I really liked Tom's jerk having to act like a kid and just be like, you know, my plans are messed up with my friends or whatever. I've got this dedication. My word is important, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I really liked that scene. And now obviously Jake and Marco getting back and seeing that his, uh, he's taking his dad to uh, meeting the sharing. They know what that means immediately. And they go full into crisis mode. Um, and like you said, they contact Eric, which this scene didn't work as well in my mind with them talking to Eric and Eric talking about the auditory data that he's figuring <laughs> yeah, exactly. out. He analyzed. Well, because they, they call, uh, either Tom or his dad. Um, and they, they try to have Eric decipher from this background audio where they're heading. 
and uh, it's all meant to you know build tension and and drama and everything escalates very quickly. Yeah, but I think I think in this uh, uh, like Eric, the way he talks, he's almost like Robbie the robot or something. Like he's like this. It's just like someone who was told that the Chi are these robots, and so somebody wrote them from this like old school sci fi. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna decipher the auditory data and and compress it or <laughs> i i gotta say it wasn't all that memorable to me um the way that eric was included in this uh, particular story i don't even know that he was entirely necessary i think they could have come up with something um different so to speak they they shove him into a couple parts of this book where very easily just you know it could have been the yurks or something else like they didn't need eric in this book at all no it's it's like they told the ghostwriter oh and there's one character who's like this android who who does hologram stuff he he's really useful you can use him and they're like oh okay i, I guess i'll put that in there <laughs> not to mention um the fact that eric has been in like every single book for the past like five you know he really is uh when we got into this reread uh eric to me was like a faint memory like i remembered his specific book and then like you said i think long ago i remember him popping up every now and then to give him like little bits of intel and stuff and it was very secretive and cool but yeah i feel like rereading this he is very overused and overutilized <laughs> i feel like we're about to read uh, a back of the book that says and now the animorphs and axe and, and eric, eric. Have to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not you know what this whole time i feel bad for axe because he should be an animorph his name doesn't need to be specifically mentioned on the back yeah it should be the animorphs and eric <laughs> <laughs> and in uh, honestly, the weirdest part to me, I mean, I thought the way he was written was just super weird in this, but even weirder is when Jake tells Eric to contact the other Animorphs. Uh, like, what? they've never done that before. It's, it's, send why out, would Eric send do out that? the Animorph signal. Yeah, just Marco Cullum <laughs> or something. He shoots a you know? beam of light into the sky with that <laughs> stylish A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, anyway, all that aside, they, they figure out basically where they're taking his dad or like a couple shops and they they logic out the rest of them uh figure out this mini mall is is probably the place and um it's tobias axe and jake who actually fly there uh along with marco um yeah you know what there's a lot of good uh tobias and axe moments in this book as well i will say yeah they I, th- I like how they're written kind of differently. And th- this whole book feels a little different with the interactions. Obviously, it's a new ghostwriter from what we can tell. But uh, some of it good, some of it bad. But The, the only character get- I felt was underutilized in this book was Rachel. She didn't and have Cassie. a whole heck of a lot. Cassie, like I said, at least was given some um, unique sort of character development. Rachel, not so much. Yeah. Um, but they get, they get to the mini mall and they see that his dad's car is there and um it's interesting because the biggest thing they have to deal with in this book is kind of how do we save uh jake's dad or or, you know stop him from getting infested but also if the animorphs are seen helping this very specific person uh it's you know they're new york's gonna put two and two together and uh realize that we're we're connected somehow right so they they have to help them without helping them kind of and they come up with a cool little, little way in this mini mall at least and I think Marco's probably the best person for that job specifically because a lot of this book deals with Jake uh, just freezing up, not being able to make the call, being too close to the problem to effectively think of a way to figure out a solution. 
Um, he's too caught up on, you know, how can I save my dad? Save my dad. That's what I got to do is save my dad. And Which at, at first I was rubbed a little wrong, uh, rubbed the wrong way by this a little bit. Because in my mind, Jake is, even though Marco's the cold, ruthless one, Jake handles pressure well. He's really good at this. But if you think about the series in general, even though this isn't written by Kay Applegate, uh, Tom has always been Jake's kryptonite. And his family has been, you know, what really, I mean, it's right there from the first book. Uh, worrying about Tom and the Yorks have his brother and the idea that his father might be infested too. Um, I can see that getting to Jake. So I, I, I approve of that. Right. And uh, I, 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 I like the dynamic of uh, Jake being the unreliable one and Marco coming in and staying cool and calling the shots and doing a actually good job of it. Um, you know, we, we saw that already. We saw it from opposite perspectives where Marco was not cool and not in his right frame of mind. And Jake was kind of the guiding force on the outside. And now it's the opposite for this one. Yeah. Um, so their plan here is interesting and Jake's not really a big part of it. Uh, Marco comes up with it, of course. And uh, basically they start this, this mini mall parking lot's pretty empty and they've already seen a couple people go into um there's there's a Starbucks that's still open, and the place they're actually using is. Do you remember what it was? Uh, a Taylor, old folks a Taylor. Home. There was an old folks home. Well, they, they don't go to the old folks home. There was the in the mini mall itself. It was a Starbucks and some kind of uh, almost like a Circuit City clone. And then I think what they were using was a um, either a laundry or a um, Taylor or something something clothes related. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, it's supposed to be closed, but people are going in and out of it. So they assume that's where their meeting is. And uh, Marco Morse Gorilla and starts messing with people's cars, making all these car alarms go off. And uh, they see Chapman's car, which is yeah. funny. <laughs> they funny do, that they know Chapman's car. They do mess with Chapman a lot in this book. They do. Well, they punch his side of his car, and then Marco like slams his fist down on Jake's dad's car. And the idea is that... Uh, his dad will be distraught over his brand new car and that'll make him leave the meeting, which it does. Yeah, exactly. Plan works, uh, better than Marco could have anticipated. I think, um, it's, it's not the scene that we saw in that cover or undercover, uh, illustration, but it's, it's close to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they pull it off. Unlike the inside cover, which would have, uh, completely, destroyed any ambition to not connect the Animorphs to his dad. Uh, Marco gets out of there before they anyone sees a gorilla and morph. Uh, right. So yeah. That's the big point of difference. And um, so that's pretty much the end of this conflict because uh, the, you know, Tom's dad, or Tom's dad, well, he is Tom's dad. He's Jake's yeah. dad. <laughs> is off dealing with his car business, uh, presumably while the, the gang regroups at Cassie's barn. Um, where they always do. And, you know, after describing everything that happened, uh, understandably, most of the team is is not happy with Jake. Yeah, he's taking a lot of risks, and that's uh, that's going to be a theme throughout this book, where Jake's usually the one yelling at people for taking risks. He's a little bit of a hypocrite in this book, um, but he's understand understandably distraught because his direct family is involved. Um, it sucks because it sounds like Jake was pretty close to his great grandfather, and he doesn't really get a chance to deal with that, you know, because he's so messed up over fixing this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, except for the last scene where he's actually in the funeral and he gets to cry and do that. 
So this entire first scene kind of really sets up the entire plot of the book. Uh, you have, you know, Jake fi- figuring out about this <clears throat> plot against his dad now because Tom's all pissed off that they have to leave town for too long. And it, it sets up the next scene where they're basically launching mass surveillance to follow Jake's dad around. And, you know, and of course we get one of these scenes where uh, Jake has more cockroach because he doesn't trust anybody else to tail his dad like uh, super close as he's going to do. And you have to have the scene where, uh, oh, someone just more cockroach. They're about to get squished by somebody they love. Um yeah, and or some Jake. kind of conflict. Like, uh, yeah. uh, in this case, um, he, he even gets a little bit of uh, strawberry jam <laughs> stuck on him that his dad ends up dropping. Yeah, I picture these scenes being like uh, like the ghostwriter submitted her outline, and then uh, Kay Applegate was like, you know what, uh, here between chapter two and three, we could really use an action beat. Go ahead and write something real quick. Yeah, it's uh, it's very much kind of the filler action to just sort of take up a couple pages or or maybe a you know the better part of a little chapter. Just yeah. something to <laughs> uh, divert from the plot, I guess. Um, but you know th- this whole scene really feels like it doesn't amount to much anyway because uh, they they spend the entire day uh, driving or not driving around. Well, Jake's driving around with his dad and (laughs) (laughs) hitching a ride in his pant leg and stuff. And And he uh, goes to his job and you have this nice little, uh, setup or for, it's not foreshadowing, but it's a, it's a smoking gun in the room where you have this bearded guy watching Jake's dad, uh, parking a parking spot, a very particular parking spot. And uh, it kind of seems like it's setting up a scene later, like this guy might be a controller, or it's kind of just described as like a big brawny bearded guy. Well, right. Um, it, it's done up to to uh, advance the tension and the drama a little bit. Um, immediately, Tobias points out that it looks like his dad's being followed by this one dude. And sure, the reader and the team are both suspo- uh, supposed to suspect this guy of being a, a controller out to get his dad. Um, the scene ends with him, of course, that not being the case, and the dude is just some angry pedestrian mad about his dad taking his parking space. Yeah, and, uh, you know, after that, there's not too much going on other than them just, uh, watching his dad at work and, and seeing, you know, running off to the bathroom and morphine every two hours, um, the slow mental of breakdown of Jake as a leader. <laughs> and honestly, after the last book, I was waiting for Visitor 3's Horkbajir to bust through the office door and start a fight. <laughs> yeah, well, and judging by some of the uh, Yerk's tactics for, <laughs> you know, their their way of uh, taking out a guy, one, one single guy, um, that might be one of their master plans, something as simple and stupid as that. Because uh, they don't get much smarter than some of the things that go on in this book. <laughs> Mm-mm. Uh, but when they get to the end of the day, uh, you know, his dad's heading out. And that same, you know, shady looking dude is still in the parking garage. I don't know if he waited there, like camped out all day or if he just, you know, knew when his dad was going to get there and when he was going to leave. But he uh, this time he's he's heading to confront him. And that I really that puts the rest of the Animorphs, at least the ones that who are nice enough to show up to this scene um that puts uh that puts them on the offensive 
Yeah, Jake is certainly breaking down as a leader. He's uh, making some reckless decisions, and he flat out is unable to make a call here in particular in this uh, instance. And it's a good thing he didn't, I guess, because if he had told them to attack, they uh, would have ended up killing or hurting or injuring this guy who is just a guy, not a controller. Yeah, just a guy who's really weirded out by... I mean, he's like like a real overreaction to a unreserved parking space um, situation. Just, just really strange. And there's a lot of good scenes in this book, uh, like the next one, where it's just Tom and Jake are at home, and it's like kind of a battle of wits almost, because uh, Jake has to pretend like, you know, he doesn't know anything about his brother, and his brother obviously doesn't know anything about him yet. Which is another big uh, problem in this this plot is that as the plot goes on, the team is kind of trusting Jake's decisions less and less, especially uh, when it comes to stuff like Tom and things that might give them away. Case in point with this next scene where you know he's he's still surveilling his dad at home, and uh, Tom is is apparently ordered a hit on his dad. And his dad's like yeah. unsuspectingly just out doing uh, lawn work chores. Yeah, and uh, so so the jerk's great plan here is to have Chapman come by uh, and stage a drive-by where they shoot his father in the front yard. Um, not really sure how this is like the best they've come up with. As I'm going to discuss later, I mean, like, this is what the jerks do. They they take care of people. Um, they infest secretly. They they do they, like this. They this make people be, disappear. <laughs> yeah, this should be their bread and butter. Uh, instead, they have a wacky yet kind of dark scene uh, where they're just going to shoot up Jake's front yard. Yeah, and, and it's it's like in broad daylight as well. You know. Um, not the wisest of plans, I think, in terms of what they could do. And it, it makes me kind of question, like, you know, what Tom's overall role within the sharing is and how high from the, or I guess low from the top he is and like how much, how many resources they can delegate out to helping him in his cause. (laughs) Yeah. And so Jake's plan to save his father here, um, is, and this, the the rest of the animals are going to be incredibly angry uh when they find out this is what he does he just takes his dad's place like asks his dad if he can water the lawn for him and uh you know just basically puts himself as a bullet shield in front of his dad just expecting that the yurks who are already doing an incredibly dumb thing uh won't take it a step further and and gun down an innocent too yeah well what they really don't like is the fact that he's up on the top of his roof and in plain sight of uh, some people and he just morphs right there or tries to morph anyway. And uh, it's, it's all quite reckless and Tobias is warning him against it and he doesn't even end up doing it because yeah, he demorphs and then runs down and it's, it's, it's solved so easily by him just kind of, uh, Hey dad, I'll take over here and we waves him inside and uh, he's hosing something. And so he like sprays the hose at the car as it drives by and uh, it went yeah. way better than it should have. <laughs> and this goes into um, 
how similar this book is to the last book in that you have um, the protagonist, who's Jake in this case, instead of Marco, who's dealing with a family situation where uh, one of his family members is um, in danger or possibly about to be year-confested and uh, is just getting really reckless. And where Marco has, like, I guess the emotional scars of his mom being a yerk uh, slave for so long and him thinking that she was dead so long, Jake has these newer emotional scars of uh, having to live with his brother, who's a yerk, uh, who's a controller. And, um, you know, that's really putting him on edge with his father. Anything to do with his father, just another family member being taken by the yerks. So... Uh, I can see why he's acting recklessly, but it's strange that the rest of the Animorphs don't equate this situation to the situation that just happened, except for a few throwaway lines by Marco throughout the book. Yeah, well, there's there's quite a few good uh, lines of dialogue and character interactions between uh, most of the characters in this book. Um, and it, it's really interesting what they do with Tobias, making him kind of like the moral compass of the team um after this whole this whole drive-by <laughs> shooting situation um the the team has a little get-together meeting um i think rachel and axe are are absent because they're watching jake's dad as they get together for this meeting and um you even get cassie pissed off at uh, uh jake you know she she flat out uh what do you call it? Uh, scolds him for berates him, berates him, sure for morphing recklessly and endangering everybody. And uh, throughout this yeah. whole book, you get you get Jake, you know, constantly thinking uh, about wanting to go talk to Cassie, and he he never does. By the way, yeah, it doesn't um, go anywhere. It's so weird that they they. It seems like they're specifically setting that up, and they don't do anything. Yeah, well, I think it's really cool that uh, the the beginning. A uh, couple books of the series, we saw a lot of pairing up of of Jake and Cassie and Rachel and Tobias, and um, now you know, especially within the last couple of books and this one, we're starting to see them pull Cassie and Jake apart a little bit more. And uh, you know, of course, I know and you know where it's heading ultimately, and, mm. and boy, I can't wait till we get there. But it's really cool to see them already setting that up. And, and giving us that little bit of um, added tension and division between the team. Because, you know, Cassie's not that, like, reliable pillar that uh, uh, Jake can go to anymore. And, in fact, it's, like, Tobias who speaks up for him in this instance where, you know, everybody's pissed off at him for, for losing his mind and not being able to give him orders and, and just starting to act more recklessly. You know, that's not the Jake they know. But it's Tobias who steps in and is very analytical of the situation. He doesn't really place blame. He kind of lays out, here are the facts and here's what needs to happen. And uh, it's, it's almost like he's their, their real second in command. You know, that's the vibe I'm getting. I don't know why they ever think Rachel should be the second leader. <laughs> yeah, I always thought, uh, I almost think all the Rachel books where she thinks she should be in charge uh, were kind of more in her head because I don't think anyone else on the group agrees. Maybe Tobias, but honestly, it's just because it's basically his girlfriend. Yeah, I know. Um, that's, that's his uh, southern parts talking. <laughs> um, anyway. His southern uh, so hawk parts, by the way. 
His, yeah, his McNuggets, his if you will. His talents is what you mean. Um, talents, yes. Talents. Um, so this is this is interesting because uh, at this point in the book, um, Jake is is sick of reacting basically to what the Yerks are doing and how they're going to try his father next. And he, he does realize he doesn't have like a lot of power in that situation. Uh, if they're on the defensive all the time, they'll never see the attacks coming unless like what's happened so far, they've just happened to be in the right place, right time. And so um, what they do now is decide to go on the offensive. And I actually thought this part was a little clever where they decide to stage an attack on Chapman's house and, uh, and man, it's it's really using a blunt force to solve a problem. Well, uh, yeah, this is this is kind of a smart idea, I think, for the the team. Um, their their plan, of course, being uh, if we kidnap or are successful in kidnapping Chapman, who's a high enough ranking controller, that that will divert them away from Tom's whole situation, and maybe that'll work. <laughs> um, and it's you know it's kind of the closest we've seen our heroes get to just flat out terrorism um except for like you know in the good old days in the in the beginning of the series when they would uh use their powers to smash up a used car sales lot or a circus or (laughs) you know any of those things any of those cute acts of terrorism yeah, this but no, is, their this plan is real here is, terrorism, kidnapping. Yeah, this is this is wacky terrorism. Uh, their plan here is basically to have Axe use his human morph, but kind of morphed out a little bit so he looks different. And uh, he yeah, can he go up and up knock on chap. Yeah, he, he's gonna go up and knock on their front door. Um, and once they see Melissa, they're gonna grab her and then attack the house and try to smash and grab uh, Chapman himself. Sure, and what's interesting is that Jake uses his rhinoceros morph here, which does not seem like the best idea in my mind. Yeah, well, everyone's in battle morph, and Axe, of course, is in his human morph, uh, posing as one of Melissa's school buddies there for uh, some homework or something. Um, And, you know, yeah, it's just a plot to get Melissa out of the house so they can have... Marco and Gorilla Morph <laughs> snag her quick, and uh, I, I think their their overall goal was just flat out destruction and chaos and taking them by complete surprise. And uh, Jake loses himself a little bit to the Rhino Morph, but y- you're right; it does turn into a very kind of almost wacky action scene where you know Mama Chapman comes out brandishing a shotgun because she's also a controller (laughs) and and chapman's like a michael bay action hero star all of a sudden (laughs) where he's running and jumping out windows and uh uh, escaping from uh jake and rhino morph and i guess what else could they what else could they do because uh as they see chapman's house has like some new defenses and stuff so unless they were gonna like meticulously plan an attack which they don't have time for uh, I guess this is really their only best bet. Oh yeah, that's right. He had uh, he had all this Yerk technology decked out, of course, protecting his house. Um, Laser beam eyes statue. <laughs> yeah, and that's enough stuff to apparently bring down a rhino because Jake is uh, feeling the life fading from him as he's taken more and more shots from you know well, shotguns and f- Dracon beams. Well, no, I think he would have been fine if Mrs. Chapman hadn't um, shot him in the brain. You know that that's the headshot with from the Dracon beam is what did it. Chapman, uh, male Chapman, Mister Chapman, yeah. uh, he's the only one who's using um, live ammunition as far as like a like a human gun. 
So, um, yeah, I think I think Mr. Chapman is what really did Jake in there, and then taking four or five more bullets to the face. Well, and he, uh, he, they also uh, shoot the hell out of Marco too in Gorilla Morph when he. Yeah, comes you get, back you get a little there. moment where you think Marco's dead. Um, Book's really trying to bring us on a roller coaster ride of emotions here. Well, it all happens so quickly, and uh, <clears throat> Jake, you know, chases down Chapman and loses himself a little bit, and kind of wants to kill him for a second. It's Marco who has to step back in and kind of calm him down and pull him off. And Chapman obviously doesn't die. They go through with their uh, phase two of their plan, which was to kidnap Chapman all along and hide him out in uh, actually a. Uh, house that's for sale very close to Chapman's house that's nearby because they thought uh, the controllers wouldn't look anywhere close by. Pretty smart for the team actually. Yeah. And and this is actually pretty a pretty decent little scene too where you have um, uh, Axe's being not forced but he's he's been asked by Jake to basically interrogate Chapman and uh, kind of a, it's not a torture scene but it's definitely something Axe is uncomfortable doing. Well, it's it's akin to torture, and it's definitely something that Axe feels very dishonorable about. It's not the the warrior's way. It's not the Andalite's way. He's, he's threatening him with Candrona starvation, which I guess is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's essentially torture. Um, it's Andalite waterboarding, <laughs> or Yerk waterboarding, <laughs> I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he leaves him there overnight to essentially think that uh, or make Chapman think that they're going to kill him and they're hoping that this is bad enough that it's going to divert the Yerk's attention away from Tom's situation um, well yeah and they specifically if you, if you remember they, they leave glass on the floor broken glass so that Chapman actually has a way to get himself out too yep yep they, they totally plan to let him go um, and you know another thing that really irks Axe is that uh, Chapman will talk this up as a huge victory against the Andalite bandits, and you know he's going to lose even more honor, which he's he's all about the honor, man. Yeah, losing it's not uh, good. <laughs> before we move on to the scene, I would just like to say that it's nice to see the Chapman family again. You know, I've missed them. Uh, exactly. Them, yeah, especially together. Melissa makes cameo appearances nowadays, we'll say. And, and uh, you know, in this one, it's pretty traumatic, actually, as she's, like, running down the, uh, or, or walking down the empty streets, screaming for her mom and dad. Yeah, that that, that was kind of described kind of horrifying. Uh, but it, was, it was pretty over I, the top. I would like to say, when they uh, thought of this plan and told Rachel about it, Compare her reaction here to book two, where book two, she, you know, labored over it and was had real problems with doing this deceitful act to her friend. Oh, yeah, exactly. Anything happened to Melissa's parents, it would really affect her, and maybe she'd get infested. And here, they tell Rachel Heard their plan to basically destroy the Chapman household and kidnap Melissa for a bit, too. Um, Definitely terrorize her. her. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and Rachel's response is, cool. Right, yeah. Well, I think uh, in this instance, Rachel's not that involved in the plot of this particular book, um, so they definitely didn't have time to spare on her moral objections. Um, and, you know, I guess they could have included a line about, like, Rachel mumbled, though, about including Melissa in the the plan and wanted to wait until she left for school in the morning or something. Um, yeah. 
little thing like that. But I mean, it's it's really no big deal. I don't think anybody even thought to compare this to book two. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, it would have been nice to have a scene where she was like fighting with them about it or something, you know? Sure. Yeah. Again, though, it's it's like they don't have enough of that screen time or, yeah, or that's page not, that's time. Not this- that's not this book. I get it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it gives us a really cool scene, too, where um, after Axe is made to do all this, he even confronts Jake about it. And we see him as mad as he's ever been as he's telling Jake how he disapproves of this method and he never wants to do it again. And uh, he, he needs to go perform a cleansing ritual, <laughs> in fact, for, for how bad he feels about this whole situation. Uh, just to go full, just to go full dork. I picture this scene similar to uh, the one between uh, Commander Worf and Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek, uh, where basically Jean-Luc calls him a coward, and Worf is like, "If you were any other man, I'd kill you where you stand." That's that's Axe in this situation, basically. Oh, yeah. Well, I uh, felt it was cool. It was good setup for. Um, kind of uh, portraying Axe as this like dissenter from the team. Um, and, and in a weird way, it almost makes sense now why they, they always say the Animorphs and Axe, because he is always sort of on the fence about his role in the Animorphs and serving Jake. Um, he's either, I, there's there's some he, awesome books coming up where he flat out defies Jake's orders and, and acts, you know, on his own. Yeah, and he's either like on the fence or sometimes he's just a little too complicit in what they're doing. Like they'll take a vote or something, and he's just like I stand with Prince Jake. You know, like he he is he does kind of make himself an outsider. So maybe maybe by the end of the series, we'll come around to you uh Animorphs marketing team over at Scholastic and we'll see why you did what you did. I don't know. I still think it's dumb and that Axe is basically considered an Animorph throughout, but whatever. <laughs> He's an Animorph who's also dealing with the fact that his his race comes first, you know, in his mind still. He's still he was a warrior wrist first before he was a uh an Animorph. So, you know, when those situations arise, yeah, of course he's gonna have some issues with it and he's gonna uh he's gonna go back to his training either way it definitely makes the their relationship dynamic more interesting there was even a point where uh i i think he called him prince jake and uh jake was actually too stressed out at the time to tell him you know the classic line don't call me prince jake um they didn't have time for that in this book so (laughs) there's something different I would just like once, and I'm sure he does this throughout some part of the series, and we just haven't gotten to it yet. Like him to snarkily say Prince Jake, like he's just adding it on as kind of like a sarcastic thing. He might, he might at one point. I know that uh, he, you know, thinks he leaves the Animorphs a couple of times to to join the uh, Andalites that do end up on Earth later. Oh, on. Oh yeah, no, I, no, I remember the book where he leaves the Animorphs. It's uh it's Axe, like, lost in the woods with a little girl, and there's, like, a jaguar after him. It's a good book. Yeah, that's what they all do when they decide to leave the Animorphs. <laughs> like that book five, like that book five where Marco couldn't decide whether or not he wanted to be an Animorph until he discovered that his mom was uh, secretly uh, yurk hiding out in the body of a little girl and a jaguar was after her. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to add the Jaguar, and I was ready to do it if you didn't. <laughs> of course. You know how my mind works. These anyway. Stupid jokes. Um, so now we get to the most pointless part of the book, um, where 
Jake and um, Tom and his dad are all going up to the cabin, which you would think would be an end to the hijinks, right? If if his dad successfully gets Tom to go to the cabin, why would Tom still be after him? Oh, this book disagrees with that statement. <laughs> well, I, the point here is that uh, Tom's Yurk is now getting extremely desperate. Like, he didn't at all want to go to the cabin, and now he's being forced to. He's in the situation where he's going... And they're leaving state, so theoretically, his buddies, you know, in the sharing and the yurt controllers are not going to be around to, to bail him out of this one, unless they send a team specifically there to deal with the situation. But from what I gather, uh, it, it seems like Tom Zurich is truly on his own here in this particular part of the book. Um, and I, I think that proves to be the case, in fact. Yeah, and it's... He's, he's on his own, and Jake does this weird thing where he kind of uh, tells the Animorphs to back off and that he's going to handle the situation. And I guess Jake is getting a little desperate, too, because he's his, I don't know, his his mind is in the realm of thinking that uh, it's up to him to, to by himself protect his father. And uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think at this point he's just working with barely any sleep and just really, really messed up over this whole thing and not thinking straight. And, and he's just got in his mind this prideful, I'm going to take care of this, either me or Tom. Yeah, and you know what? I don't know why in Jake's right mind he would ever think that his buddies, his team, would actually comply with this order and leave him to handle it on his own. I mean, we had an entire Megamorphs book that was basically about Cassie and Marco uh, deciding that their whole role in this was to not let J- Jake die. Um, so, Honestly, for him being the unofficial leader, they rarely listen to him. And, and Marco has been, you know, just a heel and a thorn in Jake's side throughout most of this book as he's calling him out for all the same crap that Jake called him out on in the previous book, which is, you know, just another one of the many parallels between the previous book and this one. And honestly, book 30, book 31, both start with threes. Come on. The conspiracy? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's all there. Uh, it's all right in front of our face. Wake everybody. up, sheeple. Uh, when they say it's all in your head, believe it. <laughs> That's what this, what this podcast needs more of, just quoting the covers of the book throughout the episode. I, uh, I think uh, that should be on par with I want that book. Hey, hey, hey. everything changes, but not quite like this. <laughs> Ooh, that's a little that's a little treat of what's uh, to come, people. The rest of my the rest of my books are far away. I can't get to them. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We don't need any more of that. Uh, yeah. plot wise um, yeah this is this is a good transitionary <laughs> period in the in the story I mean this is moving into the final act uh, Jake and and Tom are like two you know they're like Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty working against each other in secret and uh, and and having to coexist at the same time um, so we get you know the the scene of them driving up to the cabin, them riding in the car together, acting natural the whole time. Tom's Jake's, actually 
Huh. Tom's actually complicit now, and he's like joking around. He's being a little more normal, which I think puts Jake even more on edge. Well, yeah, he's trying to make good with his dad for for the time being before you know he thinks he's going to murder him. Um, and uh, yeah, like you're saying, Jake's Jake's uh, very on edge here as well. Um, they are uh, on their way to Grandpa G's cabin, of course, for the funeral. And um, as soon as they get there, you know, they're greeted by all their family members and they have to do all that uh, talking to family members, whatnot. And uh, then they just have to wait it out in the cabin there until something happens. And it could be a really tense scene, I think, if they uh, had a little bit more time to dedicate to it. But what they do with it, I think, is kind of cool, where they have Tom and Jake going through um, their grandpa's old stuff, his old war stuff, you know. And and in particular, they make a big deal out of uh, his medals. And uh, Jake has something really profound to say about his medals and um, what they, they represent. You get a great black and white good and evil scene of talking about war and what different war means where Jake's coming at it as the guy who just like in his actual life, uh, he's defending, um, his livelihood, his rights, his freedom, whatever. And, uh, that's why he's at war. Whereas Tom is the invader. He's the evil force who, um, you know, is, is there to hurt and spite and, and take away freedom. So you get this interesting, I love how it's represented in objects. You've got medals given to someone for doing their duty. And then you have a dagger. Um, you know, it's just very metaphorical and representative of, uh, the person holding each object. So kind kind of a neat little writer's moment. Yeah, Tom picks up a Nazi dagger that belonged to his uh, great-grandfather, and that's the, the item that, of course, catches his eye. And it's, you know, like the uh, the old screenwriting rule that if uh, you see a gun anywhere in a scene... Uh, I brought that up it's, earlier it's in the gonna episode. Be, it's going to be, yeah, shown later, just like this dagger here. Um, yeah. Which is kind of cool. You know, it, it really... Uh, makes the reader aware that something's going to go down. Uh, and what a brazen plan, by the way. And I don't quite, not 100% understand how Tom's Yurk thinks that straight up murdering his dad is going to alleviate the situation and allow him to go home. But uh, whatever, that's what the plot calls for. Oh my gosh, Mom! Dad just got stabbed by Nazi memorabilia. Let's head back. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, uh, we we have a, a little Jakey dream sequence here, where it's very much like um, he's he's back on the World War II um, front lines, and it's uh, the Battle of the Bulge, which is of course it's a, a story a reference a story that, that his... they make a lot into in this particular book. Yeah, and it's a story that his grandfather told him about uh, Christmas Eve um, on the battlefield. Everybody knows that that classic story about, uh, well, I don't even need to say it because it's classic and everybody knows. Everybody knows it. Yeah, there's nothing to talk about. So uh, the Battle of the Bulge essentially happened when uh, both sides started singing Christmas carols right in the middle of uh, their war. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's the the quick wrap up. <laughs> that is. Uh but anyway, so so yeah, Jake's imagining himself in this World War II scenario, which is pretty easy since he's been to World War II. 
Um, no, yeah, he didn't and, make it. And, and he was I love dead. the uh, I love the callbacks. Yeah, he didn't make it there. I love the callbacks Sorry. though. Uh, you do have Marco mention that at one point in the book. Yeah, they very rarely mention Megamorph books or the events that happen in them. But when they do, oh, I get giddy. It's very cool. Um, and in general, it's just cool when they mention anything from another book. Um, I, I like it in particular when they mention uh, when they morphed something that one time. Or you know, we haven't heard them talk about morphing ants in a while. They used to bring that up every other book. Yeah, exactly. They haven't. Uh, they've had other particular nightmares though. Um, some probably worse than ant morph at this point. Um, I would also like to point out the fact that uh, I think this is the first book I want to say that nobody acquires a new morph. Wow. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I didn't I, think about that. I think that was the one useful nugget of information from uh, from Seropedia about this book <laughs> was that there. This is the first book in which nobody acquires a new morph. Yeah, so, Seropedia, man. With these ghostwritten books, they do not care about them. <laughs> oh no, absolutely not. Uh, very little trivia. Very little information. No summaries. Nobody cares. <laughs> so it's but, a good it's a good um, thing we're we're talking to you guys through it so you remember all this uh little stuff that happens throughout the plot yeah here here, here at thought speak we really care about doing these summarized um you know podcasts so that you can be recapped we, we would never die um divert from that at all that's right coleman play it up <laughs> uh um, we got to talk about uh tom's actual plan here because yeah, Jake's awoken from his dream almost kind of prophetically as, uh, uh, you know, Dream Tom plunges a dagger into his chest. Uh, he, he wakes up to find that the dagger is now gone from underneath the bed where they left it. And, you know, it's a terrifying situation where he's running out now, scared that Tom's already made off with his dad or whatever. But the, he uh, spots him down by the dock. Uh, sitting on the edge of the deck, dipping their feet in the water, actually. Uh, Tom and his dad. Um, yeah, with, recreating uh, a scene from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I guess so. Um, Tom's got the dagger, of course, in his in his back uh, of his uh, outfit there. Oh, it's, it's his pocket. It says it was very specific for some reason. Well, like, either either way, he's got a bulge in his pocket, and it's, it's either a dagger or he's happy to be killing his dad. <laughs> I think you okay yeah anyway um <laughs> so Jake Jake goes into panic mode here and he he flat out starts morphing into tiger right there um but you know this this uh ending here is is wrapped up really quickly where he doesn't even get to do anything he doesn't get to react because before he can f- go full tiger and make the decision to uh either you know murder Tom or <laughs> let his father be killed. He Here, doesn't get to quick, do that. Yeah, real quick though, do you think this might be the origin of the dream that haunts Jake at the end of the series of him hunting down his brother as as a tiger? I don't know. It could very well be it. Yeah, because that was his mindset. That was what was happening here in this particular moment. And uh, I'm sure that when the time comes, that's how he would end it with his brother. So and that's that's what he's thinking too. He's he's not like morphing a tiger just to get there quick. He's thinking, okay, this is it. I have to kill my brother. Right, which you know really presents a whole other list of problems of having to explain to your father. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, our, our, my brother getting mauled by a tiger <laughs> was a little strange, come to think it of it. It was weird that happened to the cabin, guys. <laughs> that tiger came out of the lake, I swear. Uh, and then that jaguar was there. <laughs> just just continuing on the big cat jokes. Nice one, nice one. And then Visitor 3 came in and tried to round up the cat collection. <laughs> no, See, that's no. not even that strange that like Visitor 3 would show up. No Visitor 3 interactions whatsoever in this book. Thank goodness, I, because if they tried to shoehorn him in here, it would have been way too much. I added a star to my review just because he doesn't show up. <laughs> Wonderful. So very abruptly, before Jake even gets to do anything, uh, the whole scene turns kind of chaotic. The dock is uh, thrown asunder. Uh, Jake or Jake's dad and Tom both end up in the water and the lake, kind of like semi-drowning, I guess. And uh, it's it's very obvious that something has rammed the dock and disrupted their their little scene before. Tom could do anything. Um, and, and then in the water, like they're being moved around and there's, uh, you know, large things moving underneath the surface of the water. And it's just, it's just crazy. It's just a crazy scene. Well, yeah. And like I said, it, I mean, it happens very abruptly and it's, it's obviously the Animorphs interactions here. And it's kind of like we're sitting on the outside watching them do a mission that we had no knowledge of. Um, because it's very obvious, you know, uh, when, when the team starts talking to Jake and explaining to him what's happening and, uh, one by one after, after this scene winds down and, uh, Jake's family wakes up obviously to all this chaos and it's kind of weird how they get like the chi involved to helicopter in to, to pull Tom out of there. Yeah, I don't know why the Chi needed to be in this book at all. All of these things could be done by the Yerks, uh, you know, in, in a way to get Tom out of there, and it, it could be very easily explained. Um, sure, yeah. Like I, I, I said, don't think the Chi needed to be involved in the, uh, like, fifth book in a row. It's it's very much like the uh, the team told this ghostwriter, like, okay, here's some elements that you can use, and make sure you use these uh, robot dog people. They're pretty cool. And uh, the <laughs> ghostwriter's just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll... Try and shove that in. Yeah, but I mean, it's just uh, like you said, the animorphs, the animorphs pulling off a mission uh, without Jake. It's it's nice to see that they're at that level where they can plan an attack and and succeed and do all the stuff without us ever even following them. Which you know you don't see that coming. No, and it's really cool how like after the chaos all kind of dies down, uh, Jake goes back outside when he knows they're alone and waits for his team to sort of show up and, and confront him and, and talk to him about this. Um, cause he's none too happy about it. And of course, surprise, uh, Marco's the last one to show up. Um, because he's of course the one who's probably the most hurt by all of this. Um, their, their friendship is really, you know, being tested these last couple of books. Um, and Marco's the one who essentially came up with the whole plan and put everyone in danger. Had Cassie morph, you know, uh, whale and try and ram the the dock, and had the rest of the team there in dolphin morph to mess around. And Did we even mention that Tom's uh, leg gets broken by one of the dolphins? Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's an injury that they had to. That's had why the to helicopter send him was away. there. Yeah. Yep. 
which is a it's a pretty obvious solution to their problem, but none of them thought about it until Jake was actually up at the cabin. No, and uh, exactly. I'm surprised uh, Marco wouldn't have come up with that idea sooner because the whole plot really revolved around the idea that Tom <clears throat> was supposed to leave town, but he didn't want to. So while they could have easily created some better excuses for him to not leave town, and yeah, of course it's unpleasant to uh, have to have him, you know, break a leg or something. But oh man, I could have solved this entire book's plot in one chapter. You want to know how it could have happened? Go for they it. They find Jake finds out that Tom is going to go after their dad because he's making him go. Jake challenges his brother to a game of basketball out back. And so they're playing basketball, and Jake just makes sure he goes up for a jump shot, lands on Tom's leg, and clean break right there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe if Jake had been more level-headed, he might have considered challenging Tom to a game of basketball. No no morphing to Tiger, no Marco destroying cars. Um, I feel feel like for that book, the Harlem Globetrotters would have to have a guest appearance, though. And we would love it. I want that book. <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters meet the Animorphs. And just like Futurama, they're from a distant planet and are another alien species within the universe. <laughs> sure. And they challenge uh, uh, enemy alien races to basketball. I don't know why you think that whistling makes good <laughs> it recorded makes great podcasting. Podcasting it makes great podcast. content. When you're just listening to us on the road and you just hear that those uh, dulcet tones coming that, through your that speakers. shrill piercing probably sounds awful in people's uh, cars with the bass turned up. Oh, it'll be even better once I turn this into a mono track and kill the stereo. well uh yeah so the wrap-up of this book is actually pretty quick uh you know the team shows up and explains exactly how they bailed jake's ass out of this one um and and it seems like jake has lost uh, a little bit of face with his team here you know in this regard marco is especially peeved they're they're pretty understanding and i mean we didn't go into the whole marco jake uh situation in this book where uh jake was being pretty cold to marco and so after this, after they initiate this plan, I mean, Jake's proud of his team, but uh, Marco's hiding off in the woods and won't come out until he knows Jake's not going to like swing at him or something. Yeah, and you get another little uh, uh, private conversation between them where they walk off and you know reaffirm that they are their best buddies, but at the same time, uh, they got each other's backs in case uh, you know bad situations like this arise again. Um, and it's it's a cool scene. It, it's very similar to, again, the scenes we saw in the previous book. Yeah, and I mean, it's not as good as the scenes in the other books, like you said. I mean, I I don't think so. It's, it's kind of just done kind of randomly. I don't know. It felt like they needed that scene, so they put it in there, but I don't think it added much. Well, it's definitely a, a different vibe um when it's it's Jake who's the leader of the team who is is uh berating Marco for wanting to try and take control it's it's another thing for Marco who is supposed to be as you know like his number 2 uh and he's basically telling him that you're not being an effective leader and I need to make, call the shots on this one um and of course Jake doesn't want to hear that because he thinks his dad's life is on the line 
Uh, so it, it's just a swapping of dynamics from this yeah. this previous book to this one. And we get a, a final wrap-up sort of conclusion each chapter where Jake gets to go to his uh, Grandpa G's funeral and, and finally have his mourning period. And, I didn't think uh, this chapter was super necessary. Well, it, it is, though, and it's because it really ties into the uh, opening of the book and, and sort of the theme and that is that, you know, in war, you've often got to make really bad calls. You've got to um, sometimes kill people that you are, are either close to you or family members, people you don't want to kill. And uh, it makes Jake understand his uh, grandfather's point of view, especially when he told him he had an old soul. He, he understands that now more than ever. And uh, he also feels more strongly about metals. Um, there's a great line from the book. Well, I'd like to read an excerpt. If yeah, you, if I, I, I it. love it. It would tickle my fancy if you read it. Tom had dropped the Nazi... No, Nazi. Apparently, I'm in Inglorious Bastards. Um, Tom had dropped the Nazi dagger in the water when he'd been knocked off the pier. Holy I shit, guess you're starting sank. from that far back? Yeah, I'm going to. Calm down. Okay. It could have already been over. Well, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna start somewhere else. Well, I just wondered. I wanted to. I thought you were part. gonna take it from metals, but okay. No, whatever. I'll start closer. I always knew he'd been a hero in the war. Talking about his grandpa, that he had medals and all, and I'd wondered why he didn't put them up in a display case, show them off for all the world to see. But I was a little wiser now. Medals aren't so simple for the people who earn them. Every time Grandpa G had looked at those medals, he thought about the things that had happened, the things he'd seen others do, the things he'd done himself. I know he was proud of being brave, proud of doing his best for his country, but I also know why the medals were in a pouch, in a footlocker, in an attic, kept far out of sight. Someday, maybe they're all, maybe there'll be medals for those who fought the war against the Yorks. I'll need to buy a footlocker. Yep, Jake right there, affirming he's a footlocker, man. Not a pay less. That's where he gets his Adidas. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that's. Uh, it doesn't do a whole lot to give us any sort of um, conclusion or finality with this Tom situation. It really just sort of resets the status quo of the series and... Um, uh, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't leave you with a real sense of finality of any sort. Yeah. Kind of like the last book. Oh. Yeah. Well, this one's trying to be a little more poetic than the last book, at least attempting. Yes, a wee um, bit. Although I, th- I do think that the last book was a little more clever in its writing. Um, but sure. Let's jump into our reviews. I'll go first if you don't mind. Absolutely. That's that's the end of the conspiracy number thirty-one. Animorphs. Number thirty-one, uh, Let's let's get into it. Let's review it. What do you think? Okay, so I mean, this book uh, we talked up and down about the um, how similar it is to the last book. In the last book, I think I was a little harsh on. I mean, uh, if you've heard the last review, <coughs> um, I was definitely in a strange mood um, when we recorded. But that said, I, I stick to my score there. Um, but here, where they're going for similar themes, and you've got Jake in a very similar mindset, um, it is a very down-to-earth, uh, Yurk's hitting Jake where it's close to him at his home, um, Tom specifically playing up his role in the series, which we haven't seen him be incredibly important for a while, so it is nice to get another Tom book, but um, 
honestly, I just don't think too much is happening in this book. Uh, like, like the book itself admits, um, sometimes war isn't about, uh, you know, gaining territory or moving forward or moving backwards. Sometimes everything just stays the same. And that's, that's nice for the book to say that and to call itself out on that. But it's also just a way to, you know, have a book that doesn't matter very much to the overall series. Um, and I don't think the themes in this book are so important that you need to go out of your way. And in thinking more on it, um, I feel like the books that have Jake as the protagonist are stronger in general. They're generally the ones I really look forward to. And I didn't get that. This this doesn't feel really like Jake to me. Um, he's not acting like himself, and there's valid reasons for that. But you lose a lot of that uh, oomph when you get a Jake book where he's not trying to be a leader and struggling with... Um, with leading the animorphs and, and being strong for his age and all of that. Um, and he's just terrified because then it could have been any of them. It's not, it's not that interesting a perspective. Um, so I, while I am glad that visitor three didn't randomly show up, um, I don't think this book is that much to write home about. And I give it uh two out of five drive-bys. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm right there with you on this one. Uh, my my biggest complaints are, as we've been mentioning time and time again, the similarities uh, between this and The Reunion, just the last book. I, I feel like this book suffers so much just from placement in the overall series. If this had been in between uh, uh, The Experiment and The Sickness, um, I think I'd have, I'd have dug it just fine. It'd have been a great little book. It'd have been a nice little breakup, too. Um, but that's that's for whatever reason they decided to go and try and advance uh <clears throat> all the the characters personal family dramas uh sort of back to back and i i feel like that was a bad call uh like you mentioned this this just doesn't feel like the typical jake book i mean i feel like jake books are they should be all of them the best books the most plot advancing books in the series um, or, or at least the coolest ones, like, you know, giving us time travel and Sario rips and stuff. Um, this one, very, very low on the sci-fi aspects. It's, it's all very, uh, realistic, a very human story. Um, no big bad, no visitor three attack. Um, it's a very more personal drama and it, it plays out, um, pretty quickly. Actually, it's a really short read. Um, it's just that there's not enough substantial to really hold, uh, I think, your interest in this book. Um, you get a little bit of interesting character development bits with Marco and Jake. Um, you get to see Tobias shine a little bit more. Um, I did I did really like Tobias more from this story. Um, you get to see Cassie and Jake, like I said, uh, they're... they're perfect-ish relationship starting to be disrupted. Um, Rachel doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. She's sidelined in this. And even Axe gets a little bit of uh, minor character development. It's like they're giving us tiny, tiny snippets of where these characters are going to go, but um, it's just not there yet. And uh, in the end, it, it really feels like one of the books that's just there to kind of hold your attention until the next thing and uh, uh, reset the status quo, as I've been saying. And uh, because of all these things, I, I just feel like it's not an overall important book to the series, and it's one that if you're 
rereading the entire thing, I'd say, eh, you could probably skip it. So for that reason, I, I'm right there with you. I'm giving this thing a two out of five Dr. Daddies. Wow. I was not expecting that. Also, we did not talk about how the fact that Jake's dad is randomly a doctor now. Um, exactly um, came out of nowhere it, it was kind of a surprise i mean we they're giving us bare bones details about most of their family members throughout this i mean we, we've learned quite a bit i guess about rachel's family um as well as cassie's family um still not a hundred percent sure what the family. heck i don't know what marco's dad is really doing other than he works with computers <laughs> yeah i guess it's he, true. he's a computer like guy be like an engineer or something we know absolutely nothing about Tobias's aunt and or uncle. Other than that, they're jerk bags. Yeah, which is really just a pretty vague description. Uh, they're negative types. Let's not talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I was I'm actually really surprised that you gave this a two out of five. I thought you were... Um, gonna be a little more positive about it, but I guess I well, guess it's not. Really. You know, I'll be honest with you. I I was I was on board with giving this three out of five, but you know, the more and more we talked about this thing, the more and more I realized how completely insignificant this book really was overall, and how ready I am to move past it onto something different and. Uh, you know, it's it's actually exciting because the next book we're reading is one that pulls the Apple Gates out of retirement, so to speak, even though... This is been, the one they, they came they, back for. Yeah, they've been working on, you know, Everworld and, and whatever and still doing the outlines for this series. Um, but for whatever book. reason, book 32, uh, The Separation, is, is the one that pulled them out. Book 32 is their it. magnum opus. <laughs> uh coincidentally also one that i don't think either of us have read nope. so that should be interesting um it's it's one that i hear mixed reviews on from from most of the fan base i feel uh, like um i feel like our scale is changing like I, I i think we're pretty fair reviewers but um some of the books we gave like a two or a three to towards the beginning of the series, I bet we'd rate those higher now. And as we get further into the ghost written books, we'll look book we'll look back at books like um book thirty one and be like, Man, that was a four star book. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it, it's really hard to tell what we're gonna think of each book as we get to it. I'm mostly optimistic because I think I'm going to enjoy the bulk of the series. I really do. And I don't anticipate giving any scores lower than three. I usually, I really don't. Um, it's just, this is one that in particular, um, after reading it, you know, we, we really struggled to, to stretch out talking about the plot because there's so little substance here. Um, I do my summaries and this one was honestly like five sentences to summarize the plot. <laughs> uh, ultimately, and uh, uh, we want to give you more content. We want to talk about things and really flesh things out and discuss stuff. But like I said, this one's not giving us a whole heck of a lot to grasp at here, other than minor character interactions and uh, the fact that, you know, I'm talking about war sucks. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's our book 31. I am looking forward to book 32. I do want to see what story either. I mean, it's possible that the Apple Gates just needed to uh, get a book done really quickly, and that's why they did book 32 themselves, and they, they didn't want to 
you know, have a middleman with the ghostwriter. But either way, I've, I've not heard great things about it, but I'm, I'm definitely open-minded. Uh, and I'm looking forward to read a, read a book I haven't read before. So that's always great. Well, yeah. And to me, it looks like it, it just based on the cover and the plot description, it sounds like one that's going to be a little bit more wackier, a little bit more lighthearted, perhaps. And uh, hopefully just more fun and, and reminiscent of uh, some of the earlier Animorphs plot days. Um, I'm thinking in particular like uh, uh, The Reaction, book number 12, I believe, where you know Rachel's is off burping Crocs, except now she's off <laughs> dividing into split personalities. Oh, Rachel, the wacky situation she gets into when they're not looking. <laughs> Seriously, she gets into more like sitcom weird situations like, oh, Rachel's got amnesia now. Or, <laughs> Rachel's shrunk now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they try to play those situations seriously, though, so it's not their fault. Um, anyway, we'll tune in for that book. We're, I'm super excited about it. Uh, I do want you to check us out on um, iTunes if you can. Uh, give us a review on there. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show, but along with Patreon, which you can find us at patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. Um, iTunes is really important to helping spread the show to people who haven't listened to it before. Um, giving us a review on there just gets the show into more people's hands, and we really appreciate anything you can do with that. Please help us out. Um, again, you can also check us out on Twitter, at Morphcast. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, our website, which might be going through some major changes here in a little while, um, you can reach that at thoughtspeakcast.com. Um, we interact with people on there on Reddit at r slash animorphs, where I'm a moderator. Um, any of these places are great places to have uh, a little animorphs chat and to, you know, help our help our show out and you know give us page views and some reviews and all good things. Um, Absolutely. In fact, we love reading really awesome kind reviews uh, on on the podcast. So, you want to get uh, a shout out from us? the best way to do it with an awesome review. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so thanks for listening guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love all the support that we've gotten in the last, uh, couple weeks. And I can say that as long as neither of us get sick anymore this year, um, like we have been in the last couple weeks, uh, we should be getting these episodes out to you pretty quickly. So I'm excited about this new era of thought speak. Absolutely. Thought speak is coming at you full force, hardcore, 24 7 that's an exaggeration slow down uh <laughs> no really though we we, we want to produce extra content we want to do some uh, private thought speaks we want to host some after episode chat discussions it's all coming up folks uh those of you who will be invited to the chats will receive emails and please frequently check back on the patreon page and uh until our next episode i've been your host boy mitchell I've been your other host boy, Coleman. And, uh, yeah, you know, keep your health. Because in the end, that's all you got, folks. Okay? Keep your health and keep listening to ThoughtSpeak. And uh, until then, see ya. Have a good one, everybody. Everybody.